0: Ryan McGee, it's the the heart of college football season. NASCAR is heading toward the playoffs. Is it true that this is sort of the holiday season for you right now?
1: Uh, It's the holiday for my wife because I just Uh. wave goodbye to her, you know, usually (laughs) middle of October and so I'll see you after Thanksgiving. Yeah, no, it's it's the most wonderful time of the year for me because as you know, the goal is to keep the phone ringing. Right, and the phone keeps ringing, and uh, whether it's a football coach or a race car driver, and uh, don't tell anyone, Israel. They they pay me in American dollars to do this. So don't, yeah. Keep let's keep that between us.
0: (laughs) Well, apologies to the speed demons out there, but uh, we're talking to you today about the college football season. We're halfway through. The first college football playoff rankings will be out at the end of the month, and I just wanted to sort of get your feel for this. What's it looking like to you? It's been chaotic, which, as you know, as writers, that's
1: what we root for. Everybody thinks we root for certain teams. or That's not true at all. What I'm looking for is entertainment. And this year has been, I mean, full to the brim. And every time we think we know where it's going, we don't. Now, what you and I both know, because we have covered college football forever, is that by the time we get to the end of the year, it'll mostly be the usual suspects. Right, Um, But but the narrative to get us there has been crazy. And it's really been like this two years in a row. And you throw in all that, that everything changes after this year. Everything. And so I'm enjoying every minute of it.
0: Yeah, I was watching last weekend thinking the Pac-12 was top of the heap. And even after the Oregon-Washington game, which was very entertaining... I felt a little less confident in the Pac 12 as far as the big picture in the playoff. What are you most looking forward to the rest of the way this college football season?
1: Well, I love the fact that the Pac 12 has been involved all year. Listen, I'm I'm a southeastern guy. I, I've I've lived on the East Coast my entire life, but I've always been a sucker for you know for for football. On the western side of the Rockies, hmm. I love it, and so to see them relevant is great for college football. I don't like it when an entire half of the country has checked mm-hmm. out. You know, by the time we get to this time of year, and so the Pac-12 is going to Pac-12, and they are going to start uh, cannibalizing themselves down the stretch. But the good news is they're doing it in October and November, as opposed to seems like the last decade when they've done it in September. Right, and we and we've left them alone. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to is. It has been a year of unexpected contenders. It has been a year of, you know, the Pac-12, had they done any of this five years ago, they'd probably still be the Pac-12 next year. But uh, but it's the, it, this year has been what we haven't expected. And so that's the part I'm excited about is what, what do we not see coming uh, in the second half of October and November? And uh, I'm
0: just, I'm going to keep writing about it. This college football season has been full of excitement and not always from the places we've grown to expect. For every Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State dotting the top of the rankings, we've also got rebounding powers like Florida State and Texas making noise. Unexpected teams like North Carolina demanding to have their say. And a Pac-12 conference that insists on making its final season a memorable one. So Ryan McGee drops by to tell us what he's been looking at as the first college football playoff rankings of the season loom on the horizon. I'm Israel Gutierrez. It's Friday, October 20th. This is ESPN Daily.
2: Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely. Drake wisely.
0: Okay, well, there's a couple of expected contenders that are matching up this weekend. There's actually a really good slate of games this weekend, but we want to start off in Columbus. You've got Penn State and Ohio State, McGee. And Penn State has not won in the horseshoe. That's LeBron James' team, right? Ohio State. Yes, right. Have not won in the horseshoe since before LeBron won his first championship. That was back in 2011 was the last time that happened. How do you see this matchup shaping up?
1: It's really crazy. I wrote an essay for SportsCenter, you know, that'll run Friday and Saturday leading into the weekend. And I knew that Penn State and James Franklin in particular had struggled with Ohio State, I didn't realize how bad it had been. They lost six straight. They only have five wins. Penn State does against Ohio State this century. Huh. That, that's crazy to me. Six of those losses were by single digits. Three by a single digit by a point. Wow! And so that's just heartbreak, Ridge man. And you know James Franklin in the early days of uh, Captain Khaki uh, Harbaugh's you know tenure at Michigan you know, Penn State would take care of their business. But even then, they were not able to get around Ohio State. So there's a middle block there. The reality is when you talk to NFL scouts, they will tell you that Penn State's roster, they, they salivate over it more than Ohio State. We haven't said that in a while. Hmm. And James Franklin, who I like very much, um, ha- has just struggled with this game. It's a middle block. It really is. Now, unfortunately, in typical Penn State, Ohio State fashion, I think Penn State is a better team the line says Ohio State because the game is in the horseshoe. So right. it's very typical Penn State, right? They're probably better, and they have to go to Columbus.
0: <laughs> so if it's typical Penn State, does that mean this won't be the year that it's different? Because it kind of feels that way. Obviously, we're going to see them play Ohio State this week and Michigan down the road. But is this the year where it's a little different for Penn State? I think it is. Um, that's bad
1: news for Penn State fans because uh, anyone who asked me for advice uh, when it comes to the uh, investment uh, portfolio side of the sport, knows that I'm not very good at that, <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like that. And you know, I like James Franklin a lot, and what I like about him is is that he wears his heart on his sleeve. Sometimes it's a little too much, like when he pounced on the on the guy about the question about throwing downfield. What just last week?
2: Is there a balance though between hey, we need you to throw the ball deep, no matter. Just take a shot.
1: I, I don't really understand what
0: you're saying because we would never, like, I'm like, my skin is curling when you say just drop back and chuck it deep no matter what. Like, I still don't, like, you're speaking Japanese. Like, like we, we have never done that. Just throw the ball up and maybe he'll be open and maybe he'll catch. Like, my skin is like, so no, no. Strong
1: no. But you can tell when he's trying to sell you on the summertime media tour, hey, I think we're going to be pretty good, and when he really believes it. Mm -hmm. And you can tell in his face that he really believes this team has the potential to be special. And um, they will sneak up on everyone if they do pull off an undefeated season because, quite frankly, we've come to not expect that from them.
0: Well, you mentioned Michigan earlier. We mentioned Michigan earlier. Uh, all of their scores have been a lot of points for them and very little for the opponent. Um, they've got the second most first place votes behind Georgia. But are they for real or are they just untested?
1: Well, I mean, to quote my colleague uh, or all the callers into my colleague at the SEC Network, they ain't played nobody, Paul. And they haven't. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know this. I write the bottom 10 for ESPN.com. And when you look at Michigan's schedule, and it's East Carolina, um, who is a bottom 10 championship contender. And it's teams that have had pretty good seasons. UNLV has been a surprise, but they're still UNLV and Bowling Green and Rutgers. Nebraska can't get out of its own way. Indiana, Minnesota. I mean, not until they hit Penn State on the 11th of November, no offense to Michigan State and Purdue, Um, Michigan hasn't played anyone. And it's honestly why I haven't bought in, as Michigan fans remind me uh, regularly when they see our posts on ESPN.com each week. We post our our playoff contenders and our Heisman contenders. I don't have Michigan in there. I don't have J.J. McCarthy in there. Mm. I need to see them and him be pushed. And everyone else in those rankings at some point or another has been pushed. But Georgia and Michigan have kind of eased into the schedule. Georgia's already into the thick of it. And Michigan is not yet. The argument will be, as we have heard about other teams in the past, that if they take care of the business in November, to use a racing term, they save their tires, right? They, they didn't have to wear themselves out in September, October, early November like a lot of other contenders. So it will be really interesting to see what Michigan does uh, when they get to actual games with numbers next to the names of the teams. And right now there's only two on the calendar.
0: Yeah, and you know what else has popped up a couple of times on the calendar for Michigan is controversies. Because (laughs) uh, as we record this episode, it's Thursday afternoon, October 19th, uh, as they prepare for Michigan State, there's news that the NCAA is investigating the Wolverines again, this time for a sign-stealing controversy. Uh, What's happening here, Ryan? And could this impact Jim Harbaugh's availability late in the season?
1: It could. I mean, the reality is the accusation is that in a very NFL-ish mood or move which is obviously Jim Harbaugh's background there appear to have been some people that have purchased tickets and sat in the stands for future opponents maybe even in the playoff and uh and they're scouting they're taking notes which is against the NCAA rules as you know uh every press box I go into is jam full of NFL scouts and and everyone's you know looking ahead to other games when you're at an NFL game in college that is frowned upon. And so yeah, there's a it could potentially be a distraction. The the news breaking, um, you know, on essentially the eve of uh of what we've talked about, kind of the start of Michigan's real season. Um, that's not convenient. But but at the same
0: time, I have a feeling he'll be all right. Well, might this turn in the other direction, and given how much of a business the NCAA has become, at least in football, that maybe you say to these teams and these organizations, hey, uh, you know, scouting for a game is okay. Yeah,
1: but here's the thing. I've said this on this podcast before. It's the most misunderstood aspect of the NCAA. These rules were not written by some monolithic committee group of people who work in Indianapolis for the NCAA. These rules were written by coaches. Every rules committee, uh, every every uh, competition committee, it's all, you know, the inmates run the asylum. And so these rules were written by coaches. So if they want this to go away then they can certainly do that. They just have to do it in a meeting, you know, during the wintertime. But but in the meantime, the NCAA is great because it's very convenient for them to point and go, well, now, the NCAA doesn't, no, no, y'all wrote the rules. You know, the NCAA's job is only to enforce them. So good news. You can change it if you want to, Jim Harbaugh. Just got to go to a meeting.
0: Right. I was going to say, it sounds like if they do go to that meeting, we know which side Jim Harbaugh is going to vote for. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so the Big Ten games may or may not eliminate a playoff contender, but there was one SEC contender, a usual one, Alabama, that had fallen down a little bit, and they were kind of pronounced dead early in the season after losing to Texas. Um, I know you'll be watching this one against Tennessee really closely. How much in the hunt is Alabama? Is Jalen Milrow the answer? Well, I'll be there. Uh, we're going to do Marty
1: McGee and SEC Nation there on Saturday morning, then I'll I'll stick around for the game. Uh, as far as you know, not with my Tennessee class ring on.
0: Right, right. At least not on your
1: hand. Exactly. No, I, I might have socks on underneath the table where they can't see them. I, I've said this about Alabama. I said this about Georgia. Everyone kind of had their chance in September if they were going to take advantage of this. And Texas did that when when they defeated Alabama pretty soundly. But what has happened now is, is that they have created the nightmare scenario in that Nick Saban has really started coaching. You know, I, you know l- listen, he's the greatest of all time. I don't even have that conversation with anyone anymore. But now he is really involved in X's and O's because he has to be. And Jalen Milrow, they will tell you in the building, was called on the carpet. He was benched. And the reason was because he was not seen as taking all of this as seriously as they should have. He went through those growing pains of, you know, he's a five-star you know, this will all take care of itself. No, it won't because you look terrible. And so he was embarrassed, um, and, and that was by design. And now as a result, he's gotten his act together. The, the, the struggle for Alabama, believe it or not, is with the offensive line, yeah. which I don't think I would ever say about an Alabama team, even when they struggled back in you know, the Mike Shula days. The reality is they've always been great up front. That's where they've struggled. But again, I go back to that old Miss game last month. That was prime time. You're catching Alabama when they're down. You've got momentum if you're the old Miss offense. And uh, and they did not take care of business. So I believe that door has closed. Hmm. Um, and, and so I think that beating Alabama now is much more difficult than it was a month ago. Not saying they aren't vulnerable because they certainly are not at the level that they were two years ago, four years ago, eight years ago. But uh, But you've given them a chance to fix some things and I think that's a mistake if you're the rest of the
0: SEC. Staying in the SEC, though, you got the Georgia Bulldogs somehow under the radar, number one team in the country, sitting there with their back-to-back championships. What can we expect to see from them in the next few weeks, though?
1: Well, so this is where I will definitely hear from the Michigan fans, because uh, I continue to vote Georgia number one, and the Michigan fans will all say, well, they haven't played anyone. And even the teams that they should have taken care of, uh, they did not take care of like they should have. And and that's kind of where you are when you're a two time defending national champion. When you beat Kentucky, who was ranked in the top twenty and had just manhandled Florida, when you beat them fifty one to thirteen, and the criticism is, well, you probably should have beaten them sixty five to seven. That's kind of <laughs> where Georgia lives. The challenge for them is their safety valve. Uh, throughout those first two months of the season was Brock Bowers. Uh, And again, we'll put him in the conversation of who's the best player in college football. Well, Bowers is out now. He's going to be out for a while. And so without that safety valve, um, you know, what are you going to do? The good news is, is that Carson Beck, uh, the quarterback, um, he has gotten his feet underneath him. And he needed Brock Bowers to do that in the first part of the year. So again, everyone had their chance early. And they did not take advantage of it, Auburn. They did not take advantage of it, South Carolina, uh, when Georgia was scuffling on offense. And now, even without Brock Bowers, they got a quarterback who's confident now. And um, I think you probably, the window has closed. That being said, the Florida game looms. You know, we're not allowed to call it the world's largest outdoor cocktail party anymore, so I call it the... But
0: somehow we do every year.
1: Yeah, Earth's <laughs> biggest uh, alfresco libation soiree, we'll call it. Ooh, but then, that's way better. They, thank you. They have Missouri. You know, Missouri has only lost one football game. They have Ole Miss. Ole Miss has only lost one football game. They have Tennessee in Neyland Stadium for the next to last game of the regular season. So they're not out of the woods, Georgia, and they're going to have to wander through those woods without Brock Bowers for a little bit. So we'll see.
0: coming up, we head out West to see how the Pac-12 figures into the college football playoff mix.
2: Picture this, you arrive at your hotel, you have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country, you have your laptop open, ready to begin, and the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance.
0: Okay, McGee, now let's head out west. What we saw last weekend in Washington's epic 36 33 win over number eight Oregon, we saw the Huskies quarterback Michael Penix Jr. kind of take the driver's seat for the Heisman Trophy race.
2: Launching for the end zone,
1: forget being patient. Oh, Dunze! And Washington takes the lead. My goodness, what a one two punch from Penix.
0: But can Washington afford a loss if they want to make the playoff?
1: I think they can just simply because now they have the ability to say, but we play in the Pac-12. And I don't think they could have done that. Hmm. I know they couldn't have done it two years ago, three years ago, certainly five years ago. But you know, you look at that top 25 and all season long it has been jammed full of Pac-12 teams. You look at their schedule going forward. They go to Stanford. Then they have USC who will be ranked.
2: Here's Williams pumping, looking, buys more time, side on throw, and it's caught. Touchdown, USC, 71
1: yards. They have Utah who will be ranked.
2: JaQuindon Jackson flips sides, and Barnes will keep, and Bryson Barnes in the end zone. Touchdown, Utah.
1: They have Oregon State who will be ranked. State
2: getting six and
1: a half yards per play. Want to throw the bubble
2: instead of double move down the sideline? It's Irish to the end zone.
1: They have Washington State, who has been ranked almost entirely all year and probably will be again by the time they get to the Apple Cup. If you've finished the year by almost running that table and your only loss is to, let's say, USC with the Heisman Trophy winner and a preseason playoff contender, or Utah, the defending Pac 12 champions. I think you have a pretty good argument. But the difference is, is that a Pac-12 champion with a loss certainly would not have received the benefit of the doubt from the selection committee. Now they will because that conference has been crazy. And it's just packed with talented teams. I mean, even Colorado, you know, the story of college football, they're one and three in the conference. And you and I both know they could be three and one with a couple of breaks here and there. So if you survive that league as the champion, For the first time in a long time, the Pac-12 has the same argument that the Big Ten and the SEC have had forever, which is, hey, I survived the league and won a championship. And so your reward for that should be a college football playoff berth.
0: You mentioned Heisman Trophy winner and Wendy's spokesman, Caleb Williams, who was in the bottom 10 and your bottom 10 this week. Um, They're coming off their loss against Notre Dame. They got a grueling schedule still upcoming in this Pac-12 Can the Trojans withstand all this? Can they survive the loss last week?
1: It's a lot. And the question is, you know, it wasn't just that they lost. I mean, they got popped. Yeah. And Caleb Williams, I thought, just looked exhausted because he has had to... I'm not a Game of Thrones guy, right? But the greatest gif of all time is, oh, what's his name? Snow pulling out the sword, you know, and facing an entire army. Or in my world, it's Captain America, right? By himself, standing there looking at the Thanos army, and one, he has to do it by himself. That's Caleb Williams. I mean, you talk about no defense. He has no defense. I mean, and he had to bail them out against Arizona, against Colorado. You know, it's just, it's been that way all year. He looked exhausted against Notre Dame. And so, yes, they were in the bottom 10, which by the way, it's the coveted fifth spot. The best part about riding the bottom 10 is when a team I've written about forever turns it around. The second best aspect of riding the bottom 10 is plugging a team into the coveted fifth spot, which is not the fifth worst team in the country, and watching a fan base that's not used to it completely flip out. So I've heard from a lot of Trojans this week. And uh, and I'm really curious to see how Kayla Williams rebounds. Now, I'll say this, if Kayla Williams goes out and hangs four touchdowns and 350 yards on Utah, I think he probably takes that number one Heisman spot back away from Mr. Penix.
0: Okay, wow. That's a, that's a big move this weekend. Uh, let's go to another... High impact quarterback, different conference. He's in the ACC, but Florida State with Jordan Travis there. Um, they've got Duke this week. They're kind of having a bit of a renaissance season. They've had some points in their schedule where people could question them as far as games that they've played so far. Where do they sit in the mix as far as the college football playoff in your mind?
1: All right. So if I go back to what we keep saying, which is I need you to win an ugly game. Right. Florida State plays one every week. They barely got out of Clemson. They barely got out of Boston College. They had the the win against LSU at the beginning of the year that I don't know if they win that game, if they played it again now. And Duke is a tough out, you know? And, And now you got Duke coming into Tallahassee. So I don't know. You know, honestly, Florida State, I think that in my mind and I think that in the mind of the AP Top 25 voters, you want them to be back. You know, I'll call it the Texas is back rule, right? You want them to be back, but we've tried to buy into them so many times over the last decade. You know, really the last half of the Jimbo Fisher era all the way up until now. And they've continued to disappoint us. And so I think that's the reluctance. And this probably will be the last ranked team that Florida State plays uh, unless they make it to the ACC Championship game, which I certainly think that they will. And so this is their chance to, to show off, but it's the most ACC thing ever, though, right? Your resume builder is going to be against Duke. It's just what it is. But if we have a Travis versus Drake May, Florida State, North Carolina ACC championship game, which I think North Carolina should be ranked right now and they aren't, I think that that has the potential to make a statement, not just for the playoff, uh, but also in the Heisman Trophy race.
0: Yeah, your resume or your discussion about Florida State, you could basically say that about every team outside of Clemson in the ACC, certainly Miami, certainly North Carolina. But I guess I have to ask you the same thing about North Carolina as I did about Florida State. With Clemson being down, can they be a team that emerges from this conference and ends up in the playoff?
1: I think they could. And and quite frankly, I don't get the reluctance when it comes to North Carolina. I, I saw them in person week one against South Carolina. And South Carolina, to me, is probably the the best 2-4 and team in the country. And North Carolina just pushed them around up front. And we went into the season with North Carolina and everyone's preseason top 20, a lot of people's top 15, and Drake May came back to win an ACC championship, which North Carolina has not done since I was a kid, and and to potentially win a Heisman Trophy, which North Carolina has never done. Uh, Shout out to Charlie Choo Choo Justice, who did not win the Heisman. But, you know, they just... They struggled early, right? But they, but they pushed South Carolina around. They struggled against App State. I don't know. Everybody's just kind of forgotten about them. Yeah, it's, it's the strangest thing to me. And they just took care of their business against Miami, who, um, who obviously isn't bad. Um, when they, you know, obviously when they know how to manage clocks. And it's, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know. North Carolina, it, it completely baffles me. And now we're looking at potentially one of the biggest games in the history of the Duke North Carolina. You know, uh, they, they play for this big bell that they roll around. And then they finish at Clemson, and they finish at North Carolina State, which is always – and I grew up with that game growing up in Raleigh. That, that's a venomous game. People don't understand how much those two programs don't like each other. But if they were to finish by winning those three games and then beat a Florida State in the ACC championship game, you, you can't ignore them anymore. So, yeah, I think if you can be a playoff contender without being ranked – in mid to late October, but North Carolina, to me, is that team.
0: Okay, so since we're talking playoff contenders, there'd be a couple of fan bases that'd be upset if we didn't mention them. So for Oklahoma and Texas, is it just a matter of hanging on to the end of the schedule because there's not much on it remaining?
1: Yeah, and Oklahoma, to me, is... um, is sneaky good. You know, Mm. you you have the same argument, I guess, that you have with these others. Who have they really played? Well, they they play one of the most entertaining games in the history of the Red River rivalry. And Dylan Gabriel, who a lot of people have forgotten about because of his injury at UCF, which, by the way, he faces UCF this weekend, which is crazy. Mm. But yeah, they likely won't play anyone ranked for the remainder of the year. And, you know, the the college football playoff committee will tell you that... uh, Margin of victory doesn't matter. But the reality is, is that when they look at the schedule that Oklahoma will play the remainder of the year, it's going to matter because they're going to look at those numbers. You know, if you've ever done one of those mock uh, selection committee exercises, you can just yell out to the computer guy, Hey, computer guy, you know, give me Oklahoma and then give me, you know, these four other opponents. And you look at it and you look for numbers next to names, which are top 25 teams. And then you just look at scores. You're like, man, They won every game before touchdowns. It's hard at that point not to look at them. So, yeah, I think Oklahoma's in the driver's seat, but Oklahoma-Texas in in a Big 12 championship game is huge anyway. But this will be the last Big 12 game for either one of them. If that's the scenario that we have when we get to December, I might try to figure out how to be in Atlanta and at that game on the same day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there might be a lot of interesting scenarios here when we talk about filling out those four teams for the college football playoff when you put in sort of the the novelty of some of these teams that haven't been in a while versus, you know, the teams that we have seen year after year after year there. I'm curious if any of that matters to you or what is the primary thing that you think the committee will differentiate if we have, say, three or four one-loss teams that we have to elevate into that college football playoff?
1: Well, there, there are things that happen. And again, I, I've done this college football selection committee um, exercise, I think three times now. We go to Grapevine, Texas. We sit in the room. I mean, everything's the same. Bill Hancock's in there. The computer guy's in there. All the executives, everybody. And I've done it with a room full of uh, sports writers. I've done it with a room full of analysts, former players. Uh, and I've done it with kind of a mixed bag. And it's interesting. I mean, like any other group think Stockholm syndrome deal, right? The, the whole room, you, you never know what direction the room's going to take, and I think it depends on who's in the room, but there are certainly things, I've learned this no matter who the group is, there are things that factor in subconsciously. And it doesn't hurt to have a Heisman Trophy finalist on your team. It doesn't hurt to have won a couple of really high-profile games in prime time on network television. You know, it doesn't hurt to have played in a game in September that people still remember when you get to November. Those are things that affect that room. And then there's the actual pillars of the selection committee, which is strength of schedule, which is your record, which is conference championships, which I always have underlined, circled, highlighted, because to me, winning that conference championship trumps a lot of other things. And so uh, you need to take care of your business that first weekend in December. So they'll let you play the first weekend in January.
0: Ryan McGee, I feel like we learned a lot about this college football season, but if there's anything that we clearly need to work on, we need to learn computer guy's name. Can we learn yeah. his name, please?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I feel bad because, you know, now everybody's picturing, like, the the typical like, guy in, like, you know, a Jerry <laughs> Bruckheimer movie who's, like, you know, guy, he, he's way too attracted to have the job, but he's got the glasses, right? So I will find out Computer Guy's name. And Computer Guy, I'll make sure the world knows who you are, especially before we expand the playoff to 12 and, and your job isn't as important
0: as it used to be. All right, college football guy, thanks for your time. Thank you, Israel. I'm Israel Gutierrez. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bruce Baldwin, Bradford Craig, Andrew Hahn, Alexander Hyacinth, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andres Soto, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Andy Tennant, Mike Johns, and Jackson Agello. We'll talk to you Monday.